I have I keep this at my desk for no good reason. So for some reason, I thought I will use this at some point in my day to day life, and I don't. It's the novelization of Donkey Kong Country. <laughs> Sixty-four page chapter book. The <laughs> chapter one: The storm on Donkey Kong Island would not let up. Rain poured down in sheets. Thunder shook the tall trees, and lightning split the sky. On the ground below his treehouse, Donkey Kong stood talking to his little buddy, Diddy Kong. Sorry, it's your turn to stand watch on such a miserable night, pal," said Donkey Kong. That's okay, replied Diddy. It was just as bad last night when it was your turn to guard the bananas, etc. It's uh ready for bed. You gave him a bedtime story. There you go. That's that's the winner for sure. That's that's what I need to read my kids next is the novelization of Donkey Kong Country. I've read more esoteric novelizations of things, to be honest with you. I so I feel truly saddened that I have given away two other beautiful novelizations. I had the novelization of Space Jam, and I think I gave that away to someone years ago. <laughs> but worse than that, I gave away the novelization of Jingle All the Way, and that one I wish I had not given that one away because that's too beautiful. Just to like say, what's the craziest novelization of anything you have? I'm like, oh. Not only do I have Space Jam and Donkey Kong Country, I have Jingle All the Way, which of course is slightly different than the movie. Has all novelizations. How could, how could the gift from the heavens that is Jingle All the Way be converted to crude, you know, cave drawings that is a book to house? I don't know. <laughs> how do you Heavenly bottle the performances of concept. Phil Hartman and Sinbad? this is from a time when like we had novelizations of movies and people are just like but what what do you mean you mean like the book that it was based on i'm like no no this was back before everything was based on a book or an existing property when it was a movie it was just the movie was invented and then someone did a book version of the movie like it was the opposite but the book was never you know good it was just cashing in on the property and that's something we don't have anymore because everyone was blisteringly hot everyone was sweating in their thick winter clothes as it was not actually winter (laughs) (laughs) i mean the the most esoteric thing i have a novelization of is uh wing commander 3 the heart of the tiger the full motion video uh uh, game I it's still my favorite PlayStation 1 game probably it has nothing to do with the fact that the lead characters are Mark Hamill and Thomas F. Wilson <laughs> but it has such a treasure trove of actual actors in it like Malcolm McDowell is the Admiral uh, it's got I mean there's a bunch of guys who are in it before they were famous you'd swear that one was Matthew McConaughey <clears throat> Well, he's, I mean, Roddy McDowell's in a lot of stuff that's wonky. Malcolm McDowell, not Roddy McDowell. (laughs) When you meet Mark Hamill, I want you to, like, earnestly approach him and say, like, Mr. Mark Hamill, sir, like, I just, you you are part of my favorite sci-fi property ever. You just, everything you did is flying through space and 
all that was amazing. I re- would you please sign my copy of Wing Commander three and just see his response to that. I have to imagine he would have a good belly laugh from that. Oh, I mean, Mark Hamill's the type I I really feel in my bones. He's the type that he would laugh forever at that. Yes. Yeah. He would he would find that quite funny to just like. You know, as long as you're not being mean-spirited. If he's like, oh, this is fun just to, like, remember that I, that wasn't Wing Commander 3. <laughs> he, he was the lead. Like, when that when Wing Commander eventually becomes a really terrible movie, it's Freddie Prince Jr. and uh, his buddy who's in all of his movies. The guy from Scream. Why am I blanking on his name? Shaggy. Uh, Matthew Lillard? Yes, thank you. Lillard. It, he... It's it's Freddie Prince Jr. as Christopher Blair and uh, Lillard as Maniac, his the goose to his Maverick. Mm-hmm. And in this game, it's so much better because it's Mark Hamill as Blair and Thomas F. Wilson, Biff himself, and they are they're just busting each other's chops through the whole thing. The best part, people listening, go on. Go on YouTube, find the entire movie length cutscenes. Like they, somebody has put it together as like an hour and a half movie, and it's worth the watch. The whole thing, plus plus the bloopers at the end. I'm pretty sure Thomas F. Wilson makes like a a very very spicy Star Wars joke, and like Hamill starts laughing and falls <laughs> over. It's <laughs> I love that game so much, but I found the novelization in Powell's books, a giant, like, city block-sized bookstore in Portland. In the before time, when stores existed. Yeah, yeah, from the before time. And I found, not only did they novelize Wing Commander 3, but also (laughs) 4 and 5, which I forgot existed. (laughs) And I'm like, these are ridiculous. I have to buy the one that's based on my favorite playstation one game of all time and it's it's not bad it's it's a pretty good like i i have a i have a real thing for uh sci-fi like military sci-fi uh stories like my favorite series of star wars novels was the x-wing series where it's just it's top gun but in space is all it is and this is basically that even to a more pronounced degree because all the star wars stuff is taken out so it's just guys in space planes some of them make it back some of them don't man (laughs) oh no it's really fun especially since the aliens are giant cats i like giant cats oh you should i'm sending you guys the link i i want you to watch this movie i've seen wing commander i i i know of the cat oh Oh, but the wing, the, like you've seen the movie with Freddie Prince Jr. I don't trust that. Game. Oh, okay, okay, because the movie with Freddie Prince Jr. The cats in that one, I don't know why they decided to make them look like grosser, because it's a big <laughs> Hollywood movie now, so we can't just have them be giant cats. They have to be like giant gorilla cat things that look disgusting. Of course, they. Yeah, yeah, that's silly. But the like the game with Mark Hamill. There's one of one of the giant alien cats is a good guy who's his buddy. Mm-hmm. And it's like I've seen Mark Hamill talk to a giant man 
wearing a big furry suit. That's not, that's not even, that doesn't even phase anybody. That doesn't phase my kids even. But it's really weird when it's not Chewbacca. <laughs> and it's just a giant guy in a cat suit wearing a flight suit. Yeah. Weird and novelizations, and that I mentioned the Space Jam novel. I have to point out that the Space Jam novel diverges from the movie as well as from the comic book, the graphic novel, as well as <laughs> from the look and find book which should really clear and which differs as well a fifth time from the standard just kids illustrated book version of space jam which means that the space jam verse splinters with like five <laughs> different canons and it's like and it all focuses on a couple things because only the movie has Bill Murray as a central point. All of the other things ignore the fact that Bill Murray's there. Some of them do have the character, but they name him something different or show him as something different. They don't give him a name. And then the like the final moment before Michael Jordan does his stretchy arm dunk is always a different Looney Tune that shows up to like save the day. And there's like the novelization, it's Roadrunner shows up out of nowhere and you realize, oh, I guess Roadrunner hasn't been in this in this story until now. And he's like the he's basically like the last second, like um, Captain Marvel shows up like, oh, now the real guns have come out. We're saved. Anyway, that's that's a stupid tangent. Welcome, everybody, to episode 23 of Media Sandwich with Chris <laughs> Kyle and Dan. I'm I'm Chris. Uh, I'm Kyle, and yeah, episode 23, the Michael Jordan episode. <laughs> I am Dan, I'm here, and uh, and Space Jam, yeah, we watched the movie for the first time for everyone but me in the household like three weeks ago. Didn't age well, uh, but the no, Bill, Murray no, parts, not. Bill Murray parts aged better than I thought. Yeah, his part was funny, and Daffy was actually pretty funny, and, like, kudos to my man, um, Billy West, for doing Bugs Bunny, and I think he did Daffy and Elmer Fudd as well. He's, he was actually, like, he's been key in Looney Tunes for a while, and people kind of forget that. Billy West is everywhere. Love Billy West. But he, um, like, we, we watched Space Jam a couple months ago, and the kids actually wanted to watch it again, and by that point, it had disappeared from HBO Max. And it was oh, oh is no. it gone already? Yeah, it's gone from HBO. Uh, it I, was checked a couple It wasn't ago. meant to be then for me. I I missed out on it. I I would rather watch. I'd rather watch back in action to be honest with you. I've heard that one's underrated and really good. It's a that's a Joe Dante joint right there. Not a lot of people know that. That's Joe Dante directing a Looney Tunes movie, which he, you one would argue the man's kind of born to do it friends of the show brendan fraser yeah yes of course support your local brendan fraser absolutely (laughs) it's like dharma from dharma and greg right what's her face yeah yeah they were trying to make her a thing for a bit uh jenna elfman they were trying to make her a thing for a bit and that was an odd choice for everybody involved except for joe dante I mean, Gremlins yeah. 2 is a Looney Tunes movie, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
You got the boinks and the the slip noises that's that are hidden in the soundtrack. Well, and I mean, Bugs and Daffy, I think, appear in that movie. Even it's a it's loaded with Warner Brothers stuff. That movie. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of big things that everyone's talking about, that's not Space Jam because I don't want to talk about the new Space Jam because it's not out and the trailers are like oh, okay. It, yeah, Ready Player it, One with Looney Tunes in it. Yeah, and I was like, okay, and everyone had their stinks to make about dumb things. I'm like, okay, fine. It's the thing, the only thing that I was furious about, the only thing I think that is worth being furious about about Space Jam, like the new Space Jam movie, is that they finally took down the original 90s Space Jam website. They retired yeah. it and updated it to the new one, which looks like any other website and we lost something great and you can still find it though of course if you search like the internet like archives someone archived the original like terrible 90s like classic space jam website but that was uh, the only i felt was worth a petition or something or all the outrage everything else was just white noise yeah yeah that was a great but, that was a great piece of uh like so, some digital Indiana Jones hundreds of years from now would have found that and thought it was amazing. <laughs> Kids can still find it. They someday I, I will regale my children with the story of the original Space Jam website, and and they'll be like, "What? Why, Dad? Stop! I'm graduating there from college." There was so much front loading that was necessary. Like first, I had to explain <laughs> to my son, like, "All right, first of all." This is Looney Tunes. Then I had to move on to, first of all, this is the game of basketball. Because he's been, like, at home for a year and a half. And then, you know, all right, second of all, this is Michael Jordan. He was really good at the game basketball. And then moving on further, he was so popular, he did commercials for all these other companies. This is what those companies were. And and then you finally play the movie. And the first 20 minutes of the movie is just like a montage of, of Michael Jordan playing basketball. And, yeah. you know, he's looking at me and it's like, oh, so he's the basketball player. I'm like, yeah, he's the basketball player. And then all those other basketball players come and they, they lose their powers to the mean team. And I'm like, all right, pause the movie. These are other basketball players. Why is that one so short? I don't know. You know, he didn't advertise for McDonald's, so he wasn't on my radar. But mm-hmm. this is that. And, and you go into the, and then Bill Murray shows up. I'm like, okay, I know who Bill Murray is. He's from Ghostbusters. And I say, son, you can sleep indoors tonight. I'm proud of you. And then <laughs> Newman shows up. And I'm like, okay, this is Newman. He was on a show called Seinfeld. And he's like, oh, he's the guy from Jurassic Park. I'm like, ah, you get sheets on your bed tonight. Good job. So, <laughs> you know, so much of it. And they play all these rock ballads that it, it's almost like you you have all these movies that reference something and then you finally watch the movie that started the reference you know everybody yeah. thinks, everybody thinks here's johnny comes from the shining like no it was a johnny car john carson for the talk show john john whatever john it doesn't carson. Mean, john carson john to john q carson but the point is that watching Space Jam, like, oh, that's where all this music came from. Oh, yeah. Nowadays, yeah. you have to, like, frame it like, so, like, Michael Jordan's like, imagine, like, Fortnite, 
and and there's this guy ninja and he let's say the ninja retires and instead of playing Fortnite, he plays uh, mario kart but he's bad at it why would he do that i don't know no one knew and then they needed him to come back and save uh, roblox from the, the villains and and that and he has to do it and get back into Fortnite to, to win roblox I don't this even know. This analogy is actually pretty seamless, Chris. You should probably be try pitching this to somebody. <laughs> no, I I know I'm very hip with the kids these days. Even though like today I'm in I'm in Fred Meyer getting groceries, you know, like an adult does, and I look over and I see the gift cards like ooh eShop, ooh PlayStation, and Roblox, and I'm like I know Roblox is one of the hugest things, and I still actually don't know what it is. I have no idea what roblox actually is even though it has merchandise and it's worth like billions of dollars or some stupid amount of money and i don't actually know what it is i just know that the slogan is like all the games i'm like is it like a is it like steam or but is but for like <laughs> garbage looking like minecraft ripoffs what is this and i'm sure there's some roblox players who are feverishly sucking their pacifiers and typing right now comments Liam has actually been asking me to get Roblox, and my only hesitation, besides the fact that he has too many video games, is that he would have to play it on my PC. And I'm like, mm. I don't want to get off my PC. But there, there was actually a part of Space Jam that kind of broke my brain, and it's not a part that you would think, because there's so many parts that you think, oh, that's low-hanging fruit. Clearly it melted Dan's noggin. But no, this was... Uh, Michael Jordan in a hotel room, and he's, like, surrounded by an orgy of evidence that he's eating McDonald's. You know, you've got the, the cup and some fries spread out and a half-eaten burger. I'm like, ridiculous. And so Newman comes in. He's like, all right, we got to go to whatever, the next plot point. Uh, lights up, lace up your Nikes. We'll swing by McDonald's on the way, and you can get your Subway. Like, he, he listed, like, every single thing that... Michael Jordan did an ad for. And my first thought was, is this a parody of all the things he shilled for? Or is this a legitimate product placement? I don't know. It and can be second, both. Just, people, just like Wayne's World, it can be both. Well, the second yeah. thought was, Michael Jordan has a full McDonald's meal right on his lap. Why would you tell him we can swing by McDonald's on the way? And the two questions grappled with each other, and then I just passed out. That meal is probably cold at this point. And plus, like, a McDonald's meal, even now, like, you're, you're only spending maybe 10, 15 bucks, even on the premium stuff. That's nothing for Michael Jordan. Well, that's, that's, the, that's the thing about that movie that – sorry, go ahead, Dan. No, it's not about the price. It's like, why would you, if I'm holding a hamburger uh, from McDonald's, why would you say, put that down, we'll swing by and get an identical hamburger in two minutes? I'm like, but I already have it. Let me eat it. Well, and then you add on to that the fact that Michael Jordan, no way in hell does he eat McDonald's or even drink Gatorade because you don't eat that stuff and then play basketball professionally, let alone be the greatest one who ever did it. Right. You don't eat that stuff and move professionally. That's also true. But if, 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 I, were in that role, 
and I had a burger in my hand and Wayne Knight said, all right, come on, lace up your Nikes, eat your Wheaties and let's let's go to McDonald's. I would continue eating the burger while I'm excited to go to McDonald's and get more food. <laughs> and I'm like, boy, about that movie is uh, the fact that Michael Jordan lives in a house that looks basically like the house of any middle class suburban sitcom family. Like it looks like the house from Boy Meets World. And I'm like. That's not Michael Jordan's house. That's that was that's the that's the East Wing of Michael Jordan's guest house. The yeah. the most unbelievable aspect of the movie that includes space aliens and Looney Tunes and fourth wall breaking jokes was that Michael Jordan would never live in a house that small. I'm still stuck in that hotel room, wondering if he's legitimately trying to sell me Hanes or whether he's making fun of me. And why are we getting McDonald's if I've got McDonald's? It can be all of them at once, Stan. It, I mean, it's it's that scene from Wayne's World completely revolutionized product placement in a movie by making fun of it. Just the, the very idea of we're going to get all of our product placement out of the way in one 30-second scene, and the whole scene is a joke on product placement. But we're still fulfilling our contract duties of having all of these things in the shot prominently displayed used by our character even maybe mentioned by name but it's all going to be very very funny and it's all going to be profitable now what about sonic the sonic movie because we watched that uh yesterday and first of all the moment it ended i just stood up and i said shut up internet i liked that and, oh, know, no, that's a good movie. My family looked at me and they were confused because, you know, they're not the internet. But I pointed at them so that I had someone to point at. And now they're sad. But, you know, they have the, the Olive Garden shtick. And that's I, I, again, I'm, I'm confused because, A, if Olive Garden contributed money to make that movie finish, they could have laid on it a lot harder. They didn't even show any Olive Garden food. I would have enjoyed to see Sonic just constantly getting more breadsticks and more breadsticks and more breadsticks and like just burning them out because that would be thematically coherent. But if it was a, oh, it's just a funny thing because Sonic, his whole thing is he needs family and, you know, the Olive Garden slogan is when you're here, your family. Again, they could have laid on it a lot harder. It's almost like they thought it was a funny gag and they put a placeholder for more jokes and they forgot to put them in. I don't know. I think that that's, that's probably quite likely. Yeah. I liked that movie a lot. I've seen it both in theaters and on at home and I've liked it both times. Cause it's, it's got a lot of stupidness to it that I just missed in movies for so long. Like, wow, this is, this is not bad. This is fun. I'm laughing. I'm enjoying myself. It's dumb. Jim Carrey's being stupid, but fun Jim Carrey stupid. Yeah. Uh, I I like it a lot. I was in, like, you know, my kid was in because it's Sonic. I was in the second they made that cake joke. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. That's a cake joke? That's, a, that's uh, where uh, James Marston's applying for a job and his wife brings up a cake from under the counter and the cake says like screw screw those idiots you can stay here forever or something like that and she's like oh i'm sorry i made two cakes and she brings up the one that says congratulations 
and it's never it's they don't milk the joke too too much it's just like you made two cakes yeah i made two cakes well okay and then they just dive into it and it's like i love okay that right there won me over and i was in for the rest of the movie it's a, it's a cute movie i i will watch the second one that they're making yeah oh, did yeah. a good working in the video game um callbacks like where they saw the robots they look like eggs and they say hey Eggman," you know all right fair enough and how sonic rolls into a ball and bounces on the ship at the end a bunch of times and we're like okay anyone who's played a sonic game knows that's how you defeated the bad guy so it was it was delightful dewey duck as sonic was uh <laughs> it's constantly a, an enjoyable voice actor Mm-hmm. glad that scrooge mcduck loaned him out and <laughs> it, it was it was funny it did not go in a direction too much. It kind of stole from uh, Quicksilver in a scene. But when you've got a character whose whole thing is that he goes fast, what are you not going to do that? So, yeah, it was good. And, and I don't think Jim Carrey could have gotten away with being anything other than classic Jim Carrey. If he tried to ground the character at all, it, it wouldn't work. My favorite part is when he's just screams, the time for talking has ended. The time, <laughs> the time to press buttons is now. <laughs> That's perfect. And apparently he does like a dance that was not in the script. They just said like, Jim Carrey's going to do something now. And Jim Carrey just started to dance. I actually like that dance. A lot of people really hate it. But, you know, I, I was just like, I'm in, man. I'm in for it. I'm here. Speaking it's Jim Carrey of, going for it, so I'm not going to complain. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of being in for it, and I'm here now, everyone who has, have we all finished uh, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Yes. Yes. Yes, definitely. Here begins discussing Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and all of your spoilers are about to happen, because that's what we got to talk about. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. spoilers. Yeah. yeah, dang, that was a great series. I was unexpecting. I was unexpecting that. I, I can speak. I did not expect to like it as much as I did because I am not usually in the mood for that sort of like global espionage, like spy thing. But especially coming off to, uh, off of Wandavision, I was like, oh, Wandavision really got me thinking and it got me excited and it had a lot of like little in jokes and references. And then I'm like, oh, Falcon Winter Soldier. Like I don't know. But by the end of it, I was so totally on board with so much with what they did, and I'm so happy with that that finale. And I haven't really heard much about what other people think about the finale, other than I feel like it was well-received. It was, from what I could tell, uh, just from the little snippet of film Twitter that I follow, is a lot of people were... When the show first started, a lot of people were like, oh, well... You know, WandaVision was very pleasantly weird and unexpected, and, you know, it, it didn't feel like a movie. It felt like a show. This, yeah. when the sh when this show first started, it felt like everybody ha had reservations. Like, this feels like it might be a Marvel movie that's been cut into six pieces, and that doesn't play very well week to week. If it was bingeable, th that'd be one thing, but week to week, that doesn't work as well. Yeah. And... As it went on, and it was 
because it is essentially a Marvel movie production wise that's been split into six pieces, it feels like a lot of the big bombastic action set pieces have been removed and replaced with conversations about, you know, know, about relationships and about, you know, his legacy and the legacy of Captain America, you know, Sam's feelings about being a black man who has been handed that legacy all of that stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's that's why it works. That's why the show ultimately ended up working was instead of relying on the big action set pieces to hold it together, it's being held together by stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And the finale, the resp- the reception is from what I've seen has mostly been, ah, this is nice. It's it's saying things and it it has points of view as far as like the villain that's the one piece of scrutiny that it's gotten is a lot of people are a, a lot of people are clapping back at the general consensus of well the problem with marvel villains is that they're either cardboard or they're too uh, they they have too good of a point so you can't root against them mm-hmm. and i don't quite buy that problem i mean yeah sometimes it is a cardboard villain but that's like listen thor the dark world has a cardboard villain i barely remember anything about it other than it was the ninth doctor from doctor who other than that i don't remember a whole lot they were dark elves and that was it that's a cardboard villain that's a problem but i mean having a villain that's too sympathetic that you can't root against them, that's not a problem. That's, I mean, that's what makes Killmonger so good. Mm-hmm. And I'd argue that's what made uh, this character so good. And I, I really like that actress who, uh, I am I swear I'm the only person who's watched uh, Solo, a Star Wars story more than once, but she was <laughs> terrific in her little role in that as well. Super I, fun. I, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm just glad that Disney is like grabbing people who kind of were done dirty by Star Wars and is dropping them into other things like Kelly Marie Tran got the uh, Raya and the Last Dragon and then this actress they're like, "Okay, we thought that might go somewhere for you, that character, and it turns out no. So, we're going to we're going to use you somewhere else. We'll find something for you." Yeah, all that fight training we gave you that you barely used. We'll have you do it again. I think Falcon and the Winter Soldier was surprising because when, you know, collectively we heard that they were going to make Captain America, um, you know, the idea was there, there was kind of a growing sentiment that, well, who cares about America? And mm-hmm. isn't it a little embarrassing to have Captain America that's almost so far down the jingoistic patriotic rabbit hole that nobody's going to root for him. But dang it, do we root for him? And then the idea is, well, oh, maybe that's just because Chris Evans is so great. And by the last episode, when, you know, people say, oh, that's Black Falcon. like, no, man, that's Captain America. You're like, ah, Disney, you did it again. It's not just Chris Evans. You're finding ways to make us care about Captain America. Bravo. Well, I, 
does a great job and he looks so good in that captain america falcon suit and he oh, it was just really cool to see that and it's very comic accurate which to me i don't really care how accurate to a comic it is as long as it feels right and man it just looks good like he looks cool it, he i loved his attitude and i loved that full final monologue where he's just talking at the politicians and it felt like is this like fan fiction for the real world of like <laughs> If only we could talk to politicians and get them to go, oh, man, you're right. We need to think this through harder. Like, I, it was so overly cheesy, corny, saccharine on some level. But at the same time, I really appreciated that it was really hopeful and, like, frank. And I, I just loved that Sam's character was allowed to have a dissenting opinion to other people and uh, like he had his whole thing was i'm going to tell my story and i know that there are problems here and there and i know that there's reasons why other people would disagree but i i believe this and i'm going to go forward with it i don't care if they say that i can't do it and of course at the end it feels like no no they they all agreed you can do that because man that was really cool and i was really happy with that and i don't know i just really i really like that about him so much he he pulled it off, I think, and I'm I hope to see. Obviously, we're going to see more. I thought that like that moment where the the very end in the credits where they give the title of the series and they've changed it to Captain America and the Winter Soldier. I'm like, that's that's a nice little little yeah. you know that little was chills. Great. It was, it was and good too. I was just going to say I do hear that they're talking Captain America four like yeah. actual motion picture with Sam as Captain America. And I couldn't be more excited for that because now that, now that him and Bucky are, are simpatico and he's got the, the suit and he's kind of stepped into the role properly over the course of this series, we're ready for that movie. That movie yeah. would be great, especially, especially, now in this weird like limbo that that we've been thrown into with the MCU, I mean, Phase Four is kind of been up in the air since even before the pandemic started, but now it's really been since Black Widow has been pushed back for God, has it been like two years now that that yeah. movie's been pushed back? I hear that's coming out what this summer, this yeah fall. I guess May. Is yeah, it really coming. May? Wow. I mean, I yeah. may be wrong, but I thought it was May. I know that yeah, they're getting May. they're getting a little confident with uh, what movies they're going to release all of a sudden. The last couple of weeks, I've noticed that I'm actually seeing commercials for movies coming to theaters near me. Like that's a thing that they can do. Theaters? Yeah. Again? I like when Sam was talking about you know, uh, oh, you could feed. A million people with a phone call. You could do this and this and this. And then, he, and then he throws in, I know some people see me here and they hate it. I feel it right here now, even after I saved all you. And it was very much, you know, Disney, uh, you know, maybe Disney in the real world, maybe Disney just in writing, acknowledging that if they're taking Captain America and giving him to a black man, regardless of the fact that this is a fictional universe, you're going to have people like that fatty who is saying, oh, Disney World, the wokeness is ruining it. You're going to have people saying you've ruined Captain America, even though this is already established uh, storyline in the comics. So mm, I, yeah. 
appreciated them just saying, yeah, we see you. We don't care. Well, on a related note, did you guys see that nonsense about the billboard in L.A. that was like, bring Tony Stark back to life? Yeah. I, just, I, I, I ignored that for the most part. I mostly was like, eh, people just really like Tony Stark. I don't think that that's as nefarious as it sounded. Because it's, I'm like, I don't know, like, no, Robert Downey Jr. is not coming back. He's he's tired, and he's earned the right to do whatever he wants because he's he's also he's, a good jillionaire now, so he doesn't need to make another movie for the rest of his life. He'll be great. I mean, both him and Chris Evans have pretty gracefully stepped out of the MCU, and they're like, okay, we've we've said our part, we've passed on mantles here and there. And what I'm more excited about, I think what we just need to get to is whatever replaces that Tony Stark role. And people have hinted that, well, they're kind of doing that with Peter Parker and, and the, the Sony Spider-Man. But I don't think that's really the full replacement. Like, we got to wait until we get that. Like, what is the thing that kind of replaces that in people's minds? And so far, we've at least done that with Captain America, where we have... Three pretty cool, not full replacements, but like we have, you know, Sam's own version of Captain America. We've got, you know, Bucky's Winter Soldier character, which is interesting. I've heard people say, oh, he might turn into the White Wolf and all that. And then I really liked Walker's U.S. agent and how, you know, I love that he was not just a purely one note. Uh-huh. Aha! everything wrong with America. It's more like I love the scene where he's getting not fully really court-martialed, but he's getting like fired basically, and he yells at him. He's like, "You built me," and I'm like, "Whoa! This is being this is pretty clearly pointing that this is pointing fingers at more than just you know this character." I could feel that, and it's interesting that I, you know, I felt for him. Like, yeah, they did. They, they, they made him what he is, and he had a re- reasonable response to stress, and made a bad call, and he should be punished for it. But at the same time, you can tell that character is not purely just evil. He's not malicious. He's just so, just stressed out of his mind and doing the best he can. So it's like, I like that. And I liked in the end where he has to choose, like, am I going to save the van full of eh, politicians, but, you know, people who don't deserve to just die, or am I going to go chase revenge? And I really appreciated that he... You're right. He is not a one-note. I don't know if he is as good a villain or an anti-hero or whatever they want to make him as those who have come before him, but there's definitely the groundwork to do something with him, you know, he he kind of bucked expectations. You you see the first episode where the shield gets put in a museum and then all of a sudden this white guy comes out and he's like, hi, I'm Captain America. And you're like, oh, he's clearly super racist. And then he displayed absolutely no racism whatsoever. And I'm not going to no. pull that. He has black friends, but they and they. Everybody told him he's special. And he believed them. And then when he was told, no, you're not special, you know, he pushed back. And then the Wakandan ladies beat him up. And you see him sitting on the floor saying they weren't even super soldiers. They were just people. Yeah. Yeah, And he was so shattered. His, His illusion of mommy saying he's a special little boy was broken. And the reaction to that 
was understandable. You know, I don't think that he came into the show with anything. He was just a blank slate. But then we watched him become a tragic story. It's what's interesting is that the character U.S. agent people had assumed before the series started there. A lot of people just assumed that U.S. agent was um, always in the comics, racist, sexist, homophobic, bigoted. Like they thought he was a bigot. And it's like, actually, no, he's not any of those things. Like even in the comics, he was never this truly like disgusting guy. It wasn't like he was part of the KKK. He was just way more jingoistic American than Captain America was. And when Cap showed back up, like U.S. agent had no no gray area to him. It was America first. And that was that. And that was the problem is that that was his issue. And then Captain's like, I'm not going to stand for this at all. Because obviously, having been frozen for so long and fighting literal space aliens, I can see there's a bigger world than America, and uh, this is not okay with me. And that's when he, like, Cap walked away for a while. And I, what, who did he become? I can't remember. Nomad? I think yeah. is what the man. Yeah, it was, it was Nomad. Yeah, and it was, I think a lot of it was the U.S. agent was, like, specifically against, like, communism. And Captain America at that point was like, oh, okay, dude, like, that's a that's a battle that is pretty played out, and there's more nuance than you're letting on there. And so they, you know, they did a lot. I think mostly it was that um, if I remember the story, like the behind the scenes stuff, it was Jack Kirby had brought Captain back and hated that some people had done work with Captain America while like in between. And so that's when they're like, let's say that everything that had happened in the comics before we decided to retcon Cap being in a coma and like frozen ice for so long, that was actually a different Captain America who has been brainwashed and who, who to think he was really Steve Rogers, but he wasn't. And that's a different guy and we don't like him anymore. Boo. (laughs) Comics, man. Yeah. Well, that was a bizarre era of comics. I mean, man, in a world where in the comics our favorite heroes are just fighting commies it's just like aim higher for god's sake we've got space aliens we've got literal gods fight them don't fight don't fight communists that's dumb I did find it interesting how the central conflict from the villains and this and like the government was it's really thinking through the universe they've built. Like, yeah, if everyone blipped out, like half of the population is gone. And then five years later returns, the infrastructure for the world is just borked. And like all the bureaucracy is slowed down to a crawl because suddenly, you know, what would it be like 3.5 billion people were dead legally and now 3.5 billion people have to be reinserted into the world. Where do they go? You know, not just in their file, but like, where do they live? Is it fair to now kick them out of, you know, oh, this new person that they moved into a house that was empty because the person was gone and for five years, and then blip, they're back. Now, what do they do? Do they get their old house back or what? Like, it's way more complicated than that. I, uh, you know, if only there was some sort of real world location where we could ask these questions, but we can't. Um, thankfully, nothing like that exists in the real world anywhere. Uh, but 
we have a legitimate you know question here to, to to focus on in the marvel universe and i like that they're keeping that consistency of like yeah you have logic here instead of just like and then it's the year 2021 and marvel is still here and superheroes but also dancing with the stars or something like i like that they're keeping an in-world consistency and not Kind of like what you would see with like, um, what was the movie? Was it Bright? With mm-hmm. uh, Will Smith, where it's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like an old three, but in no way does it make any sense having led to the exact same timeline where everything still happens, like referencing Shrek. And it's like, there's no way that in the alternate history you've set up that Shrek would ever be a movie at this time. It just wouldn't be. It's like that's that's weird. Localized in your kitchen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so no, it's like, I mean I like- it's it's great how the blip can kind of be, you know, the in universe. I mean, for a while there, especially on the Netflix uh, shows, the Netflix Marvel shows, the uh, the incident as they called it, the big battle of New York was kind of like 9-11. It was their analog for 9-11. Like, that's the day where everything changed. New York, you know, the absolute... Just the skyline of New York was changed irrevocably. I can't even say the word. (laughs) Irrevocably, let's say. (laughs) And, And, you know, for a while there, that was their thing, was the incident was when the world became aware of all of this stuff. The blip is now kind of their... I mean, I guess... Oddly enough, it's kind of going to be their analog for the pandemic, where it's like this was a thing that didn't just happen one day. It happened over the course of several years and changed the entire world in a way that we still haven't fixed and we probably won't be finished fixing for decades. Yeah. So that's cool because it makes the world it makes the MCU feel a lot more real without making it very dour and depressing. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's so cool that. You know, the the most horrible thing the writers could think of actually happened. This is just delightful. <laughs> well. It's an immersive. Well, speaking of immersive, I will tell you something. I was playing some Half-Life Alex today, and it's very rare that I get to play it because it's kind of like, all right, I'm going to be in the house, but I'm not going to interact with you. But... Uh, <laughs> You know, we all work from home, but I had worked from home before the pandemic. So it's kind of the kids. I continually tell them I'm home. If there's an emergency, you can get me. But don't just come in and start chatting, because even if you don't see me actively on a phone call, like I'm thinking of things, I'm typing things. You're you're getting in my way. But then, like, I don't want to be a grump. So I usually just cave when they come in. Um, you know, they're whatever. So with VR, they get the same speech of I'm here, but you know, don't come and hug me because I can't see you. Mm-hmm. And the the trade-off is I tell them that the same way I tell them not to do it at work. But with work, you know, if they come in, even though I've told them not to, and I'll just cave and give them a hug. With VR, if they come and try to hug me, I'll smack them. And I won't do it on purpose, but that's the warning. Like, I'm swinging my arms around. You'll just think that they're a head crab. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so if I feel something, I'm going to, like, 
kick and punch and then they go ow i'm like oh you shouldn't have come i told you not to so it's a weird bittersweet catharsis <laughs> like maybe you'll listen next time i don't know i feel bad about it but if only they would just listen and not walk into the fan blade that is me spinning around <laughs> <laughs> if only how is that game though I haven't heard anything about it since it came out because nobody can afford a, a VR rig that I, that I knew of at the time when it came out. It is very, very fun, especially for someone uh, such as myself who's been a fan of Half-Life Al- or of Half-Life since the beginning. Um, you know, of course, disappointing that Valve, for whatever reason, cannot count to the number three, but... Every time I log into my Steam account and I can see Half-Life 1, Half-Life, you know, Blue Shift, Half-Life 2, Half-Life, Lost Coast, Half-Life, just all these different Half-Lifes. And to then be in a room with all of these villains and and creatures that I've seen uh, in two dimensions for so long, and then you're in three dimensions, like, oh, damn, that, that they're more scary now. And it's delightful. Um, yeah, I've, I got the the quest and i use virtual desktop to make it stream from the computer so it's it's like the absolute cheapest way that you can play half-life alex um i don't have any motion trackers installed into the room i don't have any you know of the steam valve equipment but it works and it's you know smooth and uh i think the best part is that what i see on my headset will be mirrored on the computer monitor Mm -hmm. so you know i can have uh liam in in the other room saying like oh dad i i saw this like some ammo clip at the top left and i'll look i'm like oh i see it and then so it's kind of like uh you know he's he's my guy in the chair (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> as I'm going through. <laughs> well, I, I wish I could play it because I, too, am a Half-Life fan from all the way back to the beginning. And, boy, there's something that could really use a, a novelization, in my opinion. I, I tried to write that book in a notebook when I was a kid. My dad would take me on a fishing trip and I'd spend the whole day on the boat just, like, writing out what I think would be the plot behind Half-Life. Well, May 10th is when I get my second shot. So two weeks after that, you're both more than welcome to come over. We'll duct tape the headset to your noggins and we can scare the poop out of you. <laughs> and and play some Star Wars RPG. There we go. Which I'm developing very slowly because it's hard to think about that stuff when little people are running around screaming. Why yeah. do they because they're wicked. Oh, okay. <laughs> Speaking of, they we just finished episode eight for, for Star Wars, and we are we our last one, episode nine, will be this Thursday because Thursdays become our night to watch movies together, just me and the kids, and they are excited every time to watch Star Wars, and they have so many questions constantly, most of the time. Every single scene 
Are those the bad guys? Are those the good guys? Are these good guys? Is that a bad guy? Who's the bad guy? Is that the bad guy? Are those good guys? Are these the good guys? I'm like, yes. Stop it. Just stop <laughs> it. It's like they, they have a visual language here. They make it really easy to know which yeah. is which. It's really complicated. Is there ever a situation where it's like, yeah, that is a bad guy, but we're not supposed to know it yet, so you have to pretend? Mm, I, I mean, not n- not even Lando. Not even Lando. I mean, there's the the um, uh, what's his face from the episode eight? The the, the guy who's the Benicio del Toro or not? Yeah, Benicio del Toro. Yeah, Great. his character, believe it or not, is is actually referred to in materials outside the movie as DJ. <laughs> yeah, as in, don't join. I'm like, ah. Uh watch the movie like i don't really know even at the end i'm like i don't know i didn't hate the character i mean re-watching all of the movies um because i started with episode four five six and we went back and watched one two three and the kids That's the right way to do it yeah the kids didn't seem to get into two and three three bounced off of them entirely they're like we don't like they said i don't like that one at all they uh, means Lily has been asking constantly, where's Luke Skywalker? Where's Luke? I want Luke back. And it's clear that Lily has such a crush on Luke Skywalker. And it's like, girl, yeah. Like, he's, yeah, why not? Like, Luke is, he's great. He's fun. And so when we get to episode seven, finally, I'm like, okay, Luke will be in it. And they're just, where's Luke? And that's the whole question. I'm like, well, yes, that's that's literally the question they're asking. If you're paying attention, they're all asking the same question that you've been asking me for four movies now. And we will find out at the end of this movie, but don't get your hopes up. And then so episode eight, they seem to enjoy well enough. It's like, like Charlie keeps reiterating that his favorite so far has been episode six, which is still also my favorite. And I know that's a hard contender. Like, it's, there's a big debate between five and six. Is it an Empire or is a Jedi? Well, I really like Return of the Jedi because it's it ends on a hopeful note. And Empire is still really good. Like, don't get me wrong. It's really good. But I enjoyed Return of the Jedi a little bit more. And it's just got some fun stuff. And it has my favorite st- uh, lightsaber fight of all which is the luke luke vader lightsaber fight at the end of return of the jedi because i'm like whoa I, I always go back and forth between uh empire and jedi for which saber fight i like better because i i mean empire is the most atmospheric one with all the smoke and the lighting and just like they're very tentatively swinging at each other like Vader very clearly is toying with him. Like, I could kill this kid in a second, but I want to see what he's made of. It's, I love that fight. And it's also the first time that they have ever met face to face. So it's a very climactic moment. But man, that fight in Jedi is really good because of all the baggage attached to the, to every part of it. Especially if you've, you know, sat through one, two, and three. That's a really weird moment because there's Palpatine sitting there watching the whole thing. It's like, oh, man, he must be feeling great because he engineered all of this. And what's Vader thinking about Padme and all that stuff? (laughs) So it works no matter which or which order you watch them in. 
Yeah. I'm I'm curious, did, did your kids get the idea that one, two, and three takes place before four, five, and six, and then seven and eight are taking place long after? Like, are the time jumps messing with them? They have figured that, and they've, they've understood that enough, because, and I definitely had to explain that to them when we jumped back to one, because he was confused. Well, I thought Vader's dead. I'm like, okay, this is Anakin who will become Darth Vader. This is the story before. This is the story telling how he became Darth Vader. And so then the question from one, two, and three was, is this the one where he gets burned? I'm like, just wait. And he's the whole time. Charlie's asking, why would he jump into a volcano? I'm like, well, he doesn't jump into a volcano. Why would he want to? Like, he doesn't want to. You have to watch what's going on. And you have to understand why is everything happening this way? And I, like, rewatching it all, um, like, there's not really a lightsaber fight to speak of in four because it's pretty standard. It's like, OK, here's, you know, an old man and a robot are fighting. Yep. And it's the first. OK, that's fine. There's some good. There's, you know, it's it means a lot more when, you know, I mean, it has a good meaning to it. Um, Empire and Jedi. The best part about those is that the fights are sloppy. And especially in Jedi, it's it's a little sloppy, but in like the correct way of like emotion. You can see that like every so often Luke is flailing this lightsaber a little little carelessly, you know, mm-hmm. and they're fight slash and stuff kind of in in you know amateurish ways, but it's because there's a lot of emotion built up and they're they're not trying to be perfect. And that's why that last point where he's just wailing on Vader, just wham, 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 and slaps lightsaber out of the way and slices his hand off, and it's like that's a real great, you know, climax to that fight because it feels like there's emotion. Like this feels fair. Like he's not just fighting to win. He's just getting his anger out and getting this emotion out. And when it's done, he's like, whew, you lost. And he throws the sabers. Like you can't, I'm not going to do it now. I'm done with this. And that's why like, then you watch one, two and three and like, well, one, two and three have really well choreographed fights that have zero emotion to it whatsoever. And I, you know, everyone will say, yeah, the fight between Darth Maul and Qui-Gon and, and Obi-Wan is cool, mostly because Duel of the Fates is top shelf, but <laughs> you know, it's like really well choreographed. And then you get to, you know, whatever the heck happens in Clones, and then you get to Revenge of the Sith, and, and you have this stupid fight between Anakin and Obi-Wan that goes on forever, and it becomes a video game fight. And, you know, they're slapping each other around and they're leaping on, you know, lava droids or something like this is this is like the bad kind of dumb where there's no stakes at all. And even the finale of I have the higher ground and you're like, well, two episodes ago, you were literally at the lowest ground you could have been. And you've managed to figure out how to beat this dude by was it that Darth Maul was frozen and stunned because there's no way that someone could have made that move whoa slice like ah i couldn't have even and this time obi-wan's like i have the higher ground i'm not gonna be stunned by any move you do i'm going to i'm going to you, slice you know, off you know something though i'm gonna take this back to our conversation about novelizations because the novelization of revenge of the sith is a banger of a book is it, it is it is one of those rare novelizations where you read it and you're like oh man this is better than the movie it's based on because it's diving into everybody's thoughts and emotions. And with Revenge of the Sith, you could really use that with some of the characters because it's not evident in anything they say or do. Like, 
there, there's this terrific moment in the book where I can't remember the circumstances, but somebody says something about Obi-Wan and kind of makes him think like, like there's this running gag through the book of Obi-Wan is the most reluctant hero you've ever met. He is one of the best pilots in the Jedi order. He hates flying. He is one of the best swordsmen in the, in the Jedi order. And he's referred to by people as the negotiator because he will do anything he can to avoid a fight. Like, it's it's this fun stuff that the movie really could have used. And I Have the High Ground makes a lot more sense in the book because what he's saying to him is, I taught you everything. Your fighting style is based on mine, which was based on Qui-Gon's. It's a never-ending cycle of the training. And I, he's not saying, like, it's impossible for you to get to me because I'm standing higher than you. It's literally like, I know you, and I know that you will not make that jump the way you think you can make that jump. It's it's very personal. It doesn't come across that way at all in the movie. And, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that, like, Anakin's thought process that leads him to joining the Sith makes a lot more sense if you can read his thoughts. I mean, it's there the same thing process. as, like... <laughs> yes, there actually was. But a lot of it boils down to he doesn't know what he's doing and he's making up every move as it happens and he's making all the wrong choices and he knows it as soon as he makes every choice. He knows he makes the wrong choice, but the only thing he can do is double down because that's what kind of guy he is. He will not he will not admit that he did something stupid so if somebody challenges him on something he does, does he's like, no, no, I believe in in the Chancellor. I believe in the Republic, mm-hmm. and it's all a front. It's all a, a scared little boy. None of that comes across in the performance. None of it comes across in the script for the movie, because George Lucas isn't that imaginative. But the author of that book was, and you know, with novelizations of movies, if like. The writer gets a an early draft of the script and says, "Okay, I'll I'll flesh this out into a novel." And he's adding all of that stuff. When it comes to Star Wars stuff, they get a lot of info. They get to like dig into archives, and they have like the the what do they call them? The story group breathing down their necks, making sure that they're not saying anything that's not canon. But that book is awesome. I actually follow a Twitter. Uh, uh, account that's just quotes from the novelization and they're all quotes that like oh man revenge of the sith can actually be really good if you imagine that somebody thought through some of this stuff <laughs> but, I but no i agree i agree with you that that fight has almost no weight to it because in in that movie it goes on so long and there's so many effects in that fight that you don't get any performance to the choreography. That's the difference is that you can choreograph something to an inch of its life. If you don't get to zero in on the, the performers actually performing it, then it might as well just be a cartoon and it might as well just be a dance recital. Mm-hmm. It's, I did. I did actually really like the fight scene in Episode Seven between Ray and Kylo in the forest. 
That one's oh, a really yeah. underrated. It's a beautifully shot fight. The special effects look really cool. Like the lightsabers have never looked cooler in that, you know, the darkened atmosphere. And I, I like that Ray is sloppy, but like it makes sense that she starts to get the upper hand against Kylo because Kylo is confused. He doesn't know what to do in that moment. It's clear that he's emotionally conflicted because on one hand, he's like, I'm going to be the new Vader. But on the other hand, this girl is cute. And like, he doesn't know what to do. And it's well, like, there's okay. there's another element of that movie that when it, when that came out and all the Internet, you know, uh, you know, jackholes got so up in arms of she ha- has no training. How does she know how to use a lightsaber and how is she holding her own against him? Like they got really upset because Kylo Ren should be so much more powerful than her. We spend the entire movie watching Chewie and Han shoot people with that crossbow, and it makes stormtroopers fly 30 feet in the air. Yeah. Kylo Ren gets shot in the midsection with it, and he takes a knee and then gets up and keeps going. And throughout the fight, he's banging his fist on the wound and just, like, giving a gasp or two. He should have been exploded into pieces by that shot and he's holding himself together with his hate. Oh yeah. It's like, it's clear. Like he's, he's also like, I mean, he's bleeding everywhere and he's basically banging this wound to try more or less to like sustain himself. And it's a pretty, like it made sense to me. Like the fight didn't feel unearned. And I like that. Whereas in episode eight, the then when they have the fight against the red guard, it's cool and silly, but cool. But silly. And Charlie the whole time is confused because he's like, so that means he's a good guy now. I'm like, well, but now who's the bad guy? Well, but I don't like, well, like trying to explain to him, like, well, there's a lot to explain in this movie. That's like there's a little bit more nuance to some characters. Some, not a lot, but there's some rewatching episode eight. I did not like it. I did not. I did not like it. I just oh. there's some cool and I, I just there's there are some cool moments. I do really like a lot of the stuff with Ray and Luke. I think a lot of that was actually really well handled. And I do appreciate that they were introducing the idea of, you know, there needs to be, you know, instead of a light side and a dark side, there needs to be the gray side. Because like that's that would make sense that there needs to be the third path. And I liked that it was exploring that. And I think the reason that I don't like episode eight is because I know what episode nine does with what it's set up where episode eight has it's sloppy in a lot of places. It's disrespectful to some degree in some spaces, but mostly it sets up a big alley-oop for episode nine to spike it. And instead the person jumps up, grabs the ball and sets it up again in episode nine. You're like, uh, you had a setup. You want to work with that? Like, no, no, no. We're going to make our own setup. I have a better one. Like, uh, no, you don't. No, I think was... that's what that's what bugs me with eight is that knowing now what happens, then the good parts of eight just don't feel as good, especially because and like Charlie points this out. So when they're in the they're on like the junk speeders or whatever on the salt planet, trying to they're, they're making a desperate like suicide run against the cannon, like the uh the battering ram cannon and Finn is blasting through it. And he's, you know, doing his 
hoorah Star Wars moment of I'm gonna I'm gonna be a I'm gonna be a resistance hero. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna sacrifice myself, smashing into this, you know, hey boys, I'm back. Like I'm gonna do it. I've seen I've seen Independence Day and like then Rose comes out of nowhere and smashes him and, and it's like, no, you, you, we can't just keep trading our lives for this. Like we have to defend the ones we love. And I'm like, I understand that. And that's not a bad moment in of itself. That's ruined completely by episode nine, because it turns out that, that was all kind of pointless, but Charlie stood up and he's like, what are you doing? He was right there. He almost did the thing. Are you stupid? And I just like thought it was the funniest, most earnest six-year-old response of he knows it because I don't think he quite understood that no Finn was about to die doing that. And I think Charlie accepted like, well, of course he might die, but he's doing the thing to save the day. He had to do the thing, and he almost did the thing. And why did she stop him? And of course, then he was doubly frustrated that then they ooh, she kissed him. And I was like, because, you know, he's a six-year-old who's like, gross, kissing's not cool, that's gross. And it's funny, and then I explained to him, like, no, 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 like, she's making a point, because if he'd smashed on it, he would have died, and he, like, but she's like, he would have destroyed the cannon. I'm like, but what else was there? What do you mean? Like, what did, was it just the cannon? No, they had all those other big robots and things. I'm like, yeah, so, like, would the cannon being gone have saved him? And he's like, oh, I guess not. I'm like, yeah. So, like, that was great. And then he's just discussing how he was super excited after Luke does his thing, and he's, like, confused and had to, you know, <laughs> trying to explain to him. Because he's like, wait, Luke wasn't really there? I'm like, no. It's like, so he didn't, so when Kylo, like, slashed him, he didn't really die? Like, no, Luke didn't really die in that fight. Oh, good. And then he immediately died after that. <laughs> Because he used up his all of his energy. And he's like, but why? And I'm like, uh, you know. And it was one of those where I'm like, wait a minute. Wouldn't it have been better if Luke just went and died in person? Like, because it's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then he wouldn't have been teaching Kylo a, a lesson, you know. Exactly. And it's funny because Charlie's like, there, and he's telling Shred, he's like, then there was a moment where Kylo, he, like with a bad guy with a red saber, he, with, a, with a red lifesaver, he runs up to Luke and he stabs him and the lightsaber goes through him. And I'm like, but like different from a normal lightsaber going through someone because <laughs> they <laughs> would do that both ways. And he's like, yeah, but it doesn't like kill him because and he was, he really liked that sequence and he thought it was really cool when you know all of the giant you know what the walkers and stuff are firing they fire on that man and blah, 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 and, and charlie's like oh, oh no and he's like wait a minute they can't defeat him he's defeated the rancor i'm like i like <laughs> the expression of like you can't be defeating a rancor man without even using a lifesaver charlie gets to sleep indoors tonight exactly. yeah very much so and and I mean, though my favorite moment from the entire episode eight, again, remember, Lily has a super crush on Luke Skywalker, and it's clear. She goes around the house and she says, I'm Luke Skywalker, king of the Jedi. (laughs) (laughs) And that's her thing. And so she's watching this and and Ray is saying to Luke, like, you have to come back and help us. You have to. And he's like, like, no one can say anything to change my mind. And Lily just says, I could change his mind. (laughs) (laughs) You you are three and you know what's up. Man, 
I love it. She's it's so hilarious. Yeah, she's like, no, nope, Luke Skywalker is the king of the Jedi. And Charlie asked me, he's like, is Luke, the, do they have a king of the Jedi? I'm like, no, they don't. And they both are like, well, I would still say Luke is the king of the Jedi. He's so cool. <laughs> like, that's fun. If only, like, episode nine was just called the king of the Jedi. <laughs> <sighs> I I suspect that they might actually have a pretty good time with episode nine, though. I mean, because they won't be thinking about it the way uh, adults think about it. Like, oh, the previous movie set up all this stuff and this movie's just kind of not doing that. Mm -hmm. Instead, it'll just be focused on like, you know, the cool the cool visuals. And admittedly, episode nine has some fun stuff in it. I I rewatched a while back and I I did it mostly so I could watch the big feature length documentary that they attached to it which that was a really weird documentary because it completely like cuts out anything leading up to the movie like they they talk about everything from the original trilogy they talk about the prequel trilogy they talk about episode 7 they just weirdly don't mention episode 8 at all and you're like, oh, this is really giving fuel to that fire that this movie is a huge rebuttal to that last one. Whatever. But I recently rewatched it and I'm like, there's a lot of cool stuff, like visually speaking. There's a lot of fun, like set pieces. It's it's a fun movie the same way Return of the Jedi is a fun movie. It's I feel like maybe. 20 30 years down the line that rise of skywalker will have a better reputation than it does now and it'll probably be remembered the same way return of the jedi is where it's like oh yeah that's that last one of that trilogy that's kind of goofy and doesn't really fit as well as the other two do but it's got its moments it's got its fun stuff to it yeah it's, yeah. I'm sure that they'll love the reborn emperor as the, as a solid bad guy that they haven't had in a couple movies. Maybe it's kind of confusing. Cause I mean, they're not really down with any of the villains. Like they have not been attached to any villains other than Darth Vader. Cause it's like, well, yeah, it's Darth Vader. And they haven't really attached to Kylo as I thought they would. I thought they would both find him either cooler or cute or both. And because I'm like, he's cool and cute, guys. Like, come on. Are you watching the same? Are you watching the same Adam Driver that I am? Get on this. In, get on insert this. John Oliver joke. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Convince uh, me to leave my planet, you tall horse beast. Step on my neck, you solid pillar of a man. But, um,. So, like, they haven't been, like, interested in the villains since Darth Vader. Um, they've been somewhat interested in the heroes. Like, they they seem to enjoy um, Poe and Finn and Rey well enough. Um, the funny thing is that Charlie keeps forgetting what Poe's name is. So, at one point, he's like, is that... I think he called him, like, Poo-Poo at some point. I'm like, no, 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 his name is Poe. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Popo. I'm like, no, no, not Popo, just Poe. His name's Poe. He's like, oh, right, right. Okay. Poor Popo. Po. Because he's fun. Like, that, like, it's a fun character. Like, there's a lot of fun things. It's a shame because there's so much good setup that is 
I mean, the episode seven gets lost in the mystery box. J.J. Abrams loves to do episode eight completely refutes that a mystery box needed was needed. And I did really appreciate when like Kylo says to Ray, your parents are nobodies. They're nobodies. They're just the couple, you know, they sold you for drinking money. Your parents are nobodies and you came from nothing. It doesn't matter who you are. And I'm like, that's a really good subversion that like crushes the mystery box eloquently. And it makes it more clear, like that any like heroes can come from anywhere. And that seemed to be the bigger point they were trying to make with that is that hero can come from anywhere. Stop. Stop playing the you have to come from something important to be important. You can be anybody and still be worth it. And then episode nine, like, does that. Yeah. And it, it was a bummer that episode nine is like, nah, all the things we said, what if we just didn't agree with that anymore? It's like, ah, and then and what if instead of acknowledging that everyone was terrible to Kelly Marie Tran. What if we agreed with all the awful people like, no, no, don't do that. No. Yeah. That really sucked. I I went back to her home planet. Yeah. It was like, Oh, come on guys. Like at the very least, she like, she went through so much, like give her some meat to work with in episode nine show let her prove that she is worth it because she is the character was fine in eight. It's just, that there was, you know, it was clear like this is a setup for what can nine do with this person. And they decided, eh, we don't care. It's like, oh, that's such a, that's so disgraceful to see them do that. Like, especially on the rewatch, it's like, she's great in this role and she's got good nuance. And it made sense. Even the moment that people get mad at that, even Charlie yells, I'm like, I pointed out to him later. I'm like, remember her sister died in a moment to sacrifice herself to well and it, and it and it you actually made me think of it just now and i haven't really thought about it her her stopping him from killing himself like you you just framed it as he's going to be a hero he's going to be a resistance hero by doing this suicidal thing and earlier in the movie you know poe says there were heroes on that mission and leia says yeah dead heroes which yeah. we don't need. We need to survive. It, c- it could have been a clearer tie-in to that point, but neither one of those characters was there for that conversation. So I don't know. But <laughs> makes, like, he like would. Her no, but her character I, sister dies heroically, and she knows why and how her sister died, and so she didn't have control then, but she has control over this person she cares about now, and she stopped him from from making a heroic glass stand that would have been meaningless. Like there's a time to do this and a time not to, and that would have it made sense to me. And it's a shame that then they were just like, ah, you're right. Let's not make her do anything in episode nine. She's a nobody. She's useless. It's like, ah, so, so shameful. That was, yeah. that was a big oops. Well, that was I a good read, scene. Uh... But the problem is that there is that whole, like the 90% of what her character does. The actress was fine. She did a very good job <laughs> separating that from the character. The character uh, has the side mission that goes nowhere and does nothing. And if you incorporate, you know, oh, well, she, you know, ran into Mop Boy and then Mop Boy has a little bit of force power and it's just showing that, you know, the, the slaves on this planet are un- treated unfairly, whatnot. I don't know. But it 
it seemed like there was a Star Wars movie that took a play took a took a moment away from the plot to try to sell you a hostess fruit pie. Like mm-hmm. it, it was we're we're having a Star Wars movie, Star Wars movie, Star Wars movie. By the way, people are profiteering on this. Rich people are gross, aren't they? Let's like tear their system down. All right, back to the Star Wars movie. Like mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter how good the message is, it didn't fit with the rest of the movie. And, and it's a- it's frustrating you look at it and you realize that had they not done that mission to pull Benicio del Toro into this plot, he would not have pointed out to the First Order that, oh, by the way, the Resistance is trying to sneak. And they're like, ah, confirmed. Thank you for betraying them. And it's like, yeah, if Finn and Rose had not done that that side mission, which led to nothing and nobody – like. They didn't do anything of use. They stalled for time. They gave us some interesting side pieces, but nothing of use to this current plot. And they right. actively but that, resulted. But in again, that links up to Poe's uh, to to Poe's story of not listening and not trusting in the plan and not trusting in his superiors and just wanting to jump in an X-wing and blow stuff up. Him sending them on that mission was him. doing his stupid being on his bullshit and causing you know in a roundabout way ruining the plan that was in that was in effect by leia and uh and admiral holdo admiral admiral Longneck was ridiculous (laughs) i don't like her for many reasons and here are those many reasons one yeah i get that she doesn't have to answer to poe and she knows that Poe is going to bristle at that. But she didn't tell anybody the plan. Like, it wasn't just Poe. The fact that, like, half the crew mutinied means that half the crew wanted to know what the plan was, and she didn't tell him. And you could say, oh, well, she didn't know who to trust. If she can't trust anyone on the ship, why is she on that ship? She should get to another ship if she can't trust anyone. Well, so, it's it's poorly it's poorly written out, and if there was like a mole on the ship who was feeding information to the first order, that would have made that whole thing make a lot more sense than. I mean, the the chief problem with episode eight, and I think that this is what what causes a lot of the hate towards it, is that the half of the movie that involves Luke, Ray, Kylo, the Force is all very well thought out and planned out. And the other half with Poe, Finn, Rose, Holdo, it's all kind of haphazard and happening in the background of the better movie. And because episode eight is the middle episode of the trilogy, he Johnson was very much seeking for it to be the, you know, the Empire Strikes Back with two different stories happening concur- concurrently to each other the problem with that is that it worked in Empire because Luke is having a very existential, personal journey on a separate planet where he's kind of trapped a little bit. And Han and Leia and Chewie and the Falcon and all of that stuff, you know, Cloud City and everything, lends urgency that's not present in the other half. The yeah. problem with 
with The Last Jedi is that all the urgency is on Rey trying to get Luke to come back or at very least to teach her things so that she can win the day. All the urgency is on that half of the movie, whereas the other half of the movie is like, all right, well, we're we're escaping just barely. And boy, it'd be great if Rey could get back and fix everything or it'd be great if Finn and Rose can accomplish their mission and fix everything or Leia could wake up from her coma and fix everything, but until any of that happens, we're just sitting ducks right here, and that's not urgent. That's that's literally a layover in Dallas, you know. And there was not the literally. whole there was the whole like the Empire forgot that triangles exist. Like oh, we can't <laughs> like our our engines can't catch up with them, and if we go into hyperdrive, we'll fly right past them. It's like well. Can we fly right past them and then turn around and, you know, catch them in the front? No, triangles don't exist. Shut up. And and then Holdo does that amazing, like, I'm going to crash the ship and into them through hyperdrive. And then they call it the Holdo maneuver. Like, they should have given that to Leia. Well, I mean, I mean had, had they known that Carrie Fisher was going to die, I'm sure that they would have made that Leia's last moment and it would have been amazing and everybody online would have loved it. Even if they didn't, they should have done it because I can't imagine anything they had planned in the poop that is episode nine. You know, like, what does she do? She she jingles some keys psychically in front of Kylo to distract him for a moment. Like, hey, Kylo, I'm, I'm with your mom. What? What? What was that? And that's all she does. And then she dies. It's yeah, well, it, yeah. There's uh, like the hold on maneuver is really cool looking, and it's also really stupid because it breaks down a lot of logic. Where you look, you know, like that visually was the highlight of the movie easily. Um, but now you're like, but logically, does that mean like, why don't they have all of these basically like hyperdrive missiles? Because that looks like the most devastating maneuver you could have done why don't they make missiles out of like little ships to just fire up hyperspeed missiles essentially like why can't they do that why don't they have kamikaze ships built just for that like does it have to have a person in it no you can have a droid in that or you can have it computer you know controlled just like you can autopilot that in like hyperspeed hyperdrive someone into like so all that's like I don't know. And they say, oh, it was one in a million. Like, why was that one in a million? You can't just say, oh, we can never do that again. It was too cool. You never do it again. Like, but, but the logic of that is too, like, Holdo is not known to be like a special magical super pilot. It's not like we can say, oh, the only way she could have done this is, you know, great shot, kid. It was one in a million. Like, well, yeah, because Luke can make that shot because he has to, because he's the hero and he has to do the thing. Like, I could understand if Poe did that because they've set up to Poe and they've shown Poe being really darn good doing like almost impossible stuff with a ship. But Holdo is just listen to my orders, do as I say. And it's like, but you haven't given him an order other than stop asking what the plan is. He's a ranking officer. Tell him the plan. And even after he finds out what the plan is, he's like, that's a great plan. If only I had known, I could have stopped a lot of problems from happening. Oh no, I've ruined this because no one told me the plan. It wasn't even a complicated plan. It should have just been, all right, everyone, just so you know, we're stalling for time. When we get close to this planet, we're all going to just sneak off 
to the planet. And that's going to be that. And instead, it's, I'm not going to tell anybody anything. And we're going to result in a lot more of us being dead as in, because I couldn't tell you this simple plan. Anyway. Uh, I wanted to do a little game with you guys very quickly. Okay. This is uh, the the easiest part is uh, you guys just have to choose. Here, I'm bringing it up right now. So essentially, I have a couple of uh, plots that I want to read out to you. Very, very short uh, plot synopses. And I want you to choose what what, uh, piece of media it is. Okay. So is it a video game? Is it a movie? Is it a comic book? Is it, you know, uh, what, whatever, what have you, a TV show, a book, whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so the first one is, uh, after years in prison, a boxer comes out of retirement to challenge the heavyweight champion who nearly killed the protagonist's little brother in the ring. That would be a movie. I say video game. Oh, and I, I, I forgot to say bonus points if you can tell me which piece of media it is, like the title. Mike Tyson's oh, Punch. That, that's that's <laughs> Fight Night uh that's what Fight Night Round Five, whatever that was. Fight Night Club. It, it is actually Fight Night Champion. So you there we all, go. you said movie. <laughs> then you remembered what it was. Yeah, I remembered. I know that one. That game that I didn't play, because I played Final Round 3 and then hated 4 because it wasn't 3, and then said no to 5, which was Champion. Champion was really interesting because they were really pushing for it to be cinematic. Like, they have real actors in it, and it's... it's the, The single player campaign that's the movie is pretty good. I mean, it feels like a generic... like. That same way that a Grand Theft Auto game just kind of feels like a ripoff of all of the mob movies that clearly they took inspiration from. Mm-hmm. It felt that way where it's like this this is a boxing movie that I could see being an actual movie, but it would be bad because it's just ripping off Rocky and Southpaw and, uh, you know, uh, Raging Bull and all of those. So, mm-hmm. But I thought that was funny because that could easily be anything. Yeah. Uh, next one, the sheriff of a small town has called upon a man with psychic abilities, which he received after a car accident and a long coma, to stop a serial killer from striking again. Is that Dead Zone? That is the Dead Zone. So the funny thing about that one is that's a TV show, that's a book, and it's a movie. All right. <laughs> so, so I would have five points. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Where the points don't matter. All right. Uh, okay. A mysterious man appears to downtrodden people with an untraceable gun to enact justice or revenge in this gritty anthology. That's so that is bullets from it's a graphic novel series. It is yes. I I quite enjoyed One Hundred Bullets. I. I figure that would make a terrific like TV show on like Amazon. <laughs> I haven't read it, but I've heard it's good. 
It's pretty good. It gets really weird uh, the longer it goes on because then you start getting like the overarching plot of the guy who does it. When it's just an anthology, though, it's really fun. And uh, this one, I think, is probably going to be pretty easy. I mean, they've, they've all been a lot easier than I figured they would be. But after being betrayed and killed, a vampire warrior is resurrected uh, to reap the world of immortal souls and kill his former lord. Hmm. Oh. Uh, I don't know. Castlevania? Uh, no, you're close. Well, I mean, you're close in terms of what it is. The video game. It is a video game, yeah. Castlevania. So it's a a video game about vampires, but it's not Castlevania. Uh, Right. Bad, conquers bad for a good day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I thought about reading out the plot to that one, but I know that Chris has played it, so. Oh yeah, that one's pretty good. So the main character, on uh, after a drunken hangover, can't remember how to get home and must help various people, <laughs> like get money. Like he needs to get money from various people so he can find his way home. Whilst an evil overlord wants to kill him and use him to level out a table. <laughs> yeah so if you just don't mention the fact that he's like a squirrel then that's pretty hard to catch yeah unless you played it yeah this guy this the vampire video yeah it's he's the perfect guy to fix his table uh yeah this is a legacy of kane soul reaver a very much loved video game if you say so only kane i know is command and conquer <laughs> yeah well yeah now yeah a lot of people dug soul reaver that's a very well-loved game from uh it was like 2000 or maybe maybe a little before then but people loved that one from what i heard uh that was all i had so far but i thought this would be a fun way to end episodes is by playing a media sandwich game and you can I play like along it. at home for sure it's spicy. It's a good uh, garlic aioli. Let's see if you can figure this out from the first sentence of the back of this. He lives in a treehouse. He's a big hairy guy, and boy, does he love bananas. Donkey Kong something. Kong <laughs> Skull Island. <laughs> he swings out of the screen and into the pages of his very own book. Oh, my God. The novelization of Donkey Kong with a, <laughs> a foreword by Chris Pring. Well, I think that should probably do it for uh, for the Media Sandwich game. Let us know if you liked that and if you want more of it. And if you have good entries for it, send them to me via uh, Twitter at Kyle Martinak or at Media underscore Sandwich. Uh, or you can send them to these guys at the Chris Pranger or at No Right Tweet. Or mm-hmm. you can email us at uh, Media Sandwich Show at Gmail dot com. And yeah, we'll keep the game going because that's I, I enjoyed myself putting that together, even if it was kind of a name. It's fun. We're gonna go, we'll go watch Space Jam now. Yeah. It's actually funny that I looked into this and, of course, it says very clearly here, no part of this book may be reproduced or utilized in any form or by any means electronic or mechanical, including photography, recording or any information storage and retrieval system without written permission from the publisher. Oops. And then it says this book is dedicated to 
Matt's first year. Like, I don't know who Matt is, but I hope his first year was great. Mm. Yay for Matt. Yay for Matt. This, Congratulations, this, Matt. You did it. Man, this author has so many books that he has written for. And wow. Wow. The novelization of Gex. There's there's a throwback. Why Powder haven't drug. they done another Gex? I want another Gex game. You are the only person who said that. Uh, a small <laughs> novelization. Gremlins 2 movie storybook. Various oh. songs. Uh, lots with with Disney and Marvel and Nick. So much. So much. Wow. Garfield's Pet Force. <clears throat> I didn't realize. <laughs> At least according to this, I don't know how much this is true. Clearly a ghostwriter for something. Feel the sting. It's a paperback about sting. Oh boy. This is this is crazy. <laughs> this is this is trippy. Batman Beyond novelization. Whoa. This person's my hero now. Maybe I don't know if this is true or not. I'm just I, who knows if this is real. Honey, I blew up the kid novelization. Wow. How can uh, maybe you expand upon perfection that is honey I blew up the kids. How can you indeed? This is strange times. Anyway, that's enough of that. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>